Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to Rhode Island Report, the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state, a place where it's possible to soak up some vitamin D, take your first ocean dip of the season, and get a COVID-19 vaccine all in one shot, so to speak. In a truly 2021 moment last weekend, the state made Johnson & Johnson vaccines available at Mesquamacate State Beach in Westerly. Residents and non-residents were eligible to get the one-dose shot free of charge. My guest this week is Dr. Pablo Rodriguez. He's a public health advocate and retired physician who has spent the last year plus as a member of the Rhode Island COVID-19 Equity Council. Alongside other health leaders in the state, Dr. Rodriguez has made it his mission to ensure every Rhode Islander, regardless of neighborhood, income, or identity, has access to accurate pandemic information and access to the COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Rodriguez and I discuss COVID's disproportionate impact on Rhode Island's Latino population and what the pandemic has taught us about the deeply rooted social conditions leading to disparities in public health. Dr. Pablo Rodriguez joins me after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Dr. Pablo Rodriguez is an associate professor emeritus at the Warren Alpert Medical School at Brown University, the medical director of community affairs for CARE New England, and a member of the Rhode Island COVID-19 Equity Council, which has been advising the state during the pandemic. Dr. Rodriguez, thanks for joining me. Great to join you today. You've been working with the state to develop a pandemic response that centers on equity for more than a year now. Was there a moment in the early months of the pandemic in 2020 when you really knew that COVID-19 was not only going to be a huge issue for the state, but also a huge issue for health equity? Absolutely. Uh, When the pandemic first began and the statistics started coming out, we 
immediately saw that uh, Latinos were overrepresented uh, in the pandemic, just like African Americans. And um, if you remember, 45% of the initial cases uh, were among Latinos. Uh, and uh, that basically created the Equity Council. Uh, the governor decided that uh, it, given the statistics uh, of the African-American and the Latino communities, it was important for government to have uh, input from those communities in the management uh, of the disease. Yeah, the, the rates for positive cases was disproportionate. And now we're seeing that the rate of vaccination for uh, black and Latino populations lags behind uh, the rate for, for white Rhode Islanders. Why is that? And what should state government be doing about it? Uh, I think uh, it's been uh, like this all over the country. Uh, and even at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were looking at the statistics, uh, we realized that almost 50% of the people that were being positive did not have demographic information. So the, the first thing we needed to do was get accurate information. And I'm proud to say that uh, with the advice of the Equity Council, the state of Rhode Island has one of the best um, rates of demographic information. So we know much more uh, about it. In terms of vaccination, what we have uncovered is the fact that uh, misinformation among the Latino community is extremely high, especially on social media. Uh, Latinos are not limited to the United States in terms of their social media interactions. Uh, and we're getting, you know, anti-vaccination messages from Spain, Ecuador, Argentina, Mexico, uh, all of them become part of of the social fabric uh, here in Rhode Island. And it's a constant battle of, of misinformation regarding COVID and regarding the vaccine. What, what, what are they hearing? What kind of misinformation are they getting? What can be done to dispel those myths? So any any anywhere from microchips in the vaccine to being ineffective, COVID being fake, COVID being something that is really not uh, existent, that it was the flu. Uh, these messages are still showing up on social media. And uh, I've been blessed with a uh, cadre of friends that constantly are sending me those uh, messages. And, uh, and they come through all the networks, Facebook, Twitter, uh, WhatsApp, uh, Messenger. So it is a, a multi-pronged approach at misinformation that needs to be met in that same fashion. And it's what I've been, you know, fighting for with the health department to really be proactive. Yeah, how do you fight it on the ground? And is there anything more that the state can do to to get the messages out there? Uh, the state has um, engaged the Equity Council and a number of community leaders uh, in their media campaign, which I think has been very effective. Because when you see people that you recognize, people that look like you, telling you, you know, what you're hearing is false, uh, this is the real information that has been, you know, very helpful. Uh, and and also the Central Falls um, vaccination program, uh, which was one of the first in the country, Alaska and uh, Rhode Island were the two only states that didn't follow the CDC guidelines for early vaccination. Instead of just vaccinating healthcare workers and first responders, we added the city of Central Falls at all age groups, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic because we followed the science and we knew that equity was going to be an important um, uh, decision point for us to follow. What are you pushing the state to do 
what more are you asking the Equity Council to do? So the Equity Council uh, and the Health Department together have developed a strategy of creating pop-up clinics in the community. So instead of going through the cumbersome process of going through the computer to make an appointment, which was cumbersome and difficult even for people who spoke English, (laughs) Um, we're going to bring the vaccines to where people are. Uh, We're going to go to places of work. We already have started. We're going to uh, specific factories. We're going to community events. We're going to be going to community-based organizations and basically um, meet people where they are uh, and be managed uh, by people who look like them. Uh, you mentioned Central Falls. They've got the health ambassadors going out there at, at first talking about masks, now talking about vaccines. Is that something that should be used in other parts of the state? Absolutely, especially in the communities that we know are the ones that have the highest social vulnerability uh, and that are just the ones that are becoming infected. Uh, Central Falls is a case study on how to do this well. Uh, and Maria Rivera, the mayor, deserves a lot of credit uh, because they went door by door, knocking on doors and saying, who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated, why not, and let's get you vaccinated tomorrow. And, and when you're going door to door, that's where you can address the hesitancy if you see it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because people are not going to, to be questioned about their false information uh, unless they are directly challenged on, on that knowledge. And once people realize that the information that they have received is false, uh, a lot of people change their mind. This, these are not very um, hardcore ideas. These are people just simply being afraid. Uh, they're afraid of getting infected, but they also they are afraid of whatever the vaccine could cause. And sometimes the press uh, tends to be sensationalistic and, um, and uh, the bad news travels much faster and closer to the front page than good news. Uh, you know, vaccines are now widely available across the state, and some Rhode Islanders are still hesitant to get the shot, as you mentioned. Uh, do you think the Equity Council and the vaccine subcommittee that you're on has a responsibility to try to change the minds of, of those who don't want it? You know, is that their place? I, I think so. Uh, I absolutely believe so. And um, the new campaigns are going to be addressing those specific issues. Um, you know, the issue of of infertility is one that we engaged with Women and Infants Hospital, with experts uh, of fertility uh, that are recognized in the state to let people know this is all false uh, in English and in Spanish. You know, you've talked a lot, we've talked a lot about the social determinants of health. Uh, What concerns do you have about the long-term impact of this pandemic on communities of color around Rhode Island? You know, what needs to change? So this is something that we have uh, actively discussed at the Equity Council and at the Vaccine Subcommittee, uh, because um, the the pandemic is only a proxy uh, for the social determinants of health. When you look at uh, the Social Vulnerability Index, which is an index uh, that is created by the CDC to determine which populations, which which communities are at greater risk uh, for these social determinants, um, we can put the map of COVID and the map of the Social Vulnerability Index, and they perfectly correlate. So the concern that we have now is that once all this furor over COVID goes away, um, then those social determinants of health still going to exist. And uh, another pandemic will just do exactly the same thing. So we need to make sure 
that uh, the funds that are being um, distributed throughout the country to deal with the aftermath of the pandemic go to the areas that specifically are affected by the pandemic. Yeah, all that federal money, what's the, what's the number one thing we could do here in Rhode Island with that money to address the, the, those issues of social determinants of health that you've talked about? We need to have a robust public education campaign about health, about social determinants of health, about um, how to prevent uh, disease, uh, things that uh, don't sound sexy, but that uh, have shown to be some of the greatest risk factors for people to become uh, infected. We need to change the circumstances, uh, and this is much harder, the economic circumstances of these communities. You know, we have to try to find more affordable housing um, so people don't have to live, you know, 20 in an apartment that was designed for 10. You know, so those are issues that will be uh, with us for a long, long time. But if we don't begin addressing those issues, the next pandemic is going to create the same havoc. You know, with the vaccinations expanding and regulations decreasing, what are you watching for from a public health and equity perspective as we move forward? So it will be essential for us to be looking at those places that uh, already have been determined to be uh, a risk of infection. So factories, uh, meatpacking plants, uh, places where people are working right next to each other uh, without the ability to socially distance, uh, without good ventilation, uh, the fish processors down south in, in Point Judith. Those kinds of places at the beginning of the pandemic were the, the focus uh, of, of infection. So we need to make sure that those will be the canaries in the coal mine. Uh, if all of a sudden we start seeing uh, outbreaks in those places, then we we still have to you know reconsider uh, all the um, all the guidelines. Hey, tell us a bit about how you've handled this pandemic in your own life. You know, like, are you dining inside now? What's what's the biggest thing you missed during the pandemic? And you know, are you going to do anything differently post pandemic? Um, believe it or not, I miss fundraisers. I miss <laughs> nonprofit fundraisers. That makes one of us. It was such a fun time to join together with people of of the same mind, oh, you know, in yeah, supporting yeah. a cause, uh, and uh, and not to see, you know, these 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 friends that that you know I used to see almost weekly, you know, at at fundraisers, at, at nonprofit fundraisers. I really really miss it, and of course, dancing. You know, my wife and I you are, were always the first people to to start dancing at every fundraiser. We what what kind of dancing uh, do you excel at? Uh, salsa dancing. What else? <laughs> Mary, Mary Rivera's dream, she, she has said in Central Falls, is that that first salsa night um, in the, hopefully this summer. And does that include uh, political fundraisers? Or you, uh, um, you know, political fundraisers, I typically go by myself. My <laughs> wife hates them. Uh, so, you know, those we do because we have to do them uh, to support you know, the candidates that we support. But, uh, but the nonprofits are just such, such, so much fun. So let's talk about politics. So you're, you were the driving force be behind the Rhode Island Latino Political Action Committee. You're a keen observer of the political scene here in Rhode Island. Uh, Rhode Island now has the most diverse General Assembly in state history. 
you know, there's 21 people of color uh, amongst the 113 member legislature. And, uh, you know, just recently we had the Rhode Island Legislative Black and Latino Caucus outlining their priorities. So I wanted to hear, in your view, what are the top three pieces of legislation they should be backing this session? Uh, so it would be important for the uh, the caucus to continue the fight that they have begun. Uh, so police reform is something that impacts our communities very seriously, uh, and uh, and they have taken a leadership uh, position in in that respect. Uh, affordable housing, like like I said uh, before, it's a public health imperative. Uh, so it will be very very important that 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 we do that. And thirdly, education. I've been in this state for 36 years, and I've been hearing the same story for 36 years. It's about time that we put our money where our mouth is and do the right thing for our Latino children. Dr. Rodriguez, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Here are a few other stories you should check out this week from Globe Rhode Island. My colleague Alexa Gigas has a Q&A with Rhode Island Public Health Institute Director Dr. Amy Nunn about a new state bill that aims to increase equitable access to fresh healthy foods through a proposed tax on sugary drinks. You can read my latest on a legal dispute that is the full Rhode Island involving the ACLU, voting rights, and the symbol of summer living in Rhode Island, beach cabanas at Bonnet Shores. And check out Globe Rhode Island's Guide to Juneteenth Events happening this weekend across the state to honor the anniversary of the end of slavery in the United States. Find all these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Ned Porter. Music by APM. Have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear? A story you think we should cover? Send us an email at rinews@globe.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next Thursday. to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows, you need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all anytime and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.